Welcome to Mom Fashions, an honest discussion about the beauty and burden of motherhood. I'm Emily. And I'm Beth. And we hope these next few minutes encourage, inspire, and remind you that we are all in this together. This is Mom Fashions, a Fort Worth Moms production. Episode 63, How to Get Your Cervix in Shape. Today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Andrea Palmer and Phenom Women's Care. Phenom Women's Care is not just a practice in medicine, it is a practice in female humanity. They have an all-female physician team offering real woman-to-woman care. Hello, Mom Fashions listeners. This is Emily, and I'll say hello to my pal, Beth. How are you hey, today? We're good. We're in the same room. Uh, yay! <laughs> I know. We had a few episodes where we were apart, thanks to I don't that yeah. which should not be named. <laughs> uh, we, why do we keep talking about I it? Know. I don't know. It's everywhere. It everything. is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moving on from that. We are very delighted to have um, with us on this episode today. Dr. Andrea Palmer. Hello. How are you? Yay. I'm wonderful. How are you guys? We are great. We are so excited to chat with you. We often joke that we sometimes pull in experts Mm -hmm. just so we can ask all our questions. (laughs) Um, But we figure if we have these questions, then other women, other moms also have these questions. Absolutely right. Yeah. Dr. Palmer was a great fit uh, for this episode. She is a local OB-GYN here in the North Texas area. But we have had a relationship with Dr. Palmer for many years now through Fort Worth Moms. And then also our kiddos happen to attend the same elementary school. So um, we are big fans of her and love what she does for women in our community. So Dr. Palmer, I'll hand it over to you if you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Sure. First of all, thank you guys for having me here. This is um, such a joy to be able to talk with you all. My name is Andrea Palmer. I am originally an Oklahoman, but my husband and I and our children moved down here to Texas in the end of 2016. Um, So I've been here just about a little over five years now. Um, Texas has definitely become home and we love Fort Worth and uh, we just couldn't, couldn't be happier. I am an OBGYN. Um, my husband um, is the reason we moved to Texas, and he is a pediatric urologist over at Cook Children's. And so that's what landed us here in the fort. Um, we have two kiddos. We have a um, seventh grader, um, Lorelai, who attends Young Women's Leadership Academy. And then our third grader, Wiley, is at Tanglewood. And so we um, love our little community here. And I have fabulous partners. I work at Phenom Women's Care um, with five amazing other OBGYNs um, who I am lucky to call partners and friends. How cool that you and your husband are both healthcare workers in our community. I think that's, um, that's so neat that your family is so plugged in. It is, um, you know, both of us say that we can't imagine doing life any other way, of course. Um, You know, I get the enormity of when he comes home with a bad day and he gets my enormity of a bad day in a way that only somebody who who works in the field can. And on the same way, our successes are kind of easily shared as well. And so um, it's nice to have somebody who truly gets it and doesn't question it. And if I have to, you know, pick up my purse and run out at dinner, he's still like, where are you going? He knows where I'm going. So, (laughs) um, yeah, it's definitely. Um, uh, we're, we're lucky to have each other. 
We will include the link in our show notes for sure, but you also wrote a recent article for Fort Worth Moms, and it's called How to Get Your Cervix in Shape, Tips for a Healthy Life. So, drum row, please, we are talking about our cervix today. Everybody's favorite topic. Um, January also conveniently happens to be um, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And um, as we had made a few jokes about not hearing a lot about pelvic floor therapy kind of Mm -hmm. previous to the last few years. I don't really hear a lot about cervical health either, Mm -hmm. or even like a lot of talk about, you know, cervical cancer. Your article kind of goes through some of the tips for kind of proactive measures for cervical health. But I think we want to, in this podcast episode, sort of give just more light on the discussion and put it on women's radar that it is something you need to be aware of. It is something that you need to be discussing, you know, with your doctor. I know we had a visit one time um, with another physician on mom fashions, and she had made a statement that has stuck with me forever, is that you are the only person who cares about your health, yeah. really. Like the, you're the one who really knows about it, and you care more about it than anybody else in the world. So can you, um, I I do have like a um, encyclopedia of family history of cancer, Momfessions listeners know this. We've talked about it at length. Ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, uterine cancer, stomach cancer, breast cancer. Just take a few minutes to kind of educate us. Like, Absolutely. what the heck is cervical cancer? What are the stats? Maybe maybe start with what the cervix is. Oh, yeah, maybe we should let's go back. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> listening that's like picturing you know some little body part working out when they hear get your cervix in shape yeah Yeah, you can't you can't do bench presses with your cervix but there's a lot that we can do so just for yeah the the sake of knowing uh, what we're talking about and, and where it is and why we care your cervix is basically a tube of tissue that lives at the top of your vagina in the very 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 highest point that you could reach inside your vagina Coincidentally, it is the bottom part of your uterus. So the thing that most people know about as far as their cervix goes is like when a woman is in labor, this is what dilates. So when somebody says, I'm three centimeters, well, that's referencing how open or dilated the tube or the cervix is. The cervix has to open all the way up to 10 centimeters to let a baby out. And so that fibrous um, tube, fibrous and glandular tube, is what holds kiddos in um, and then dilates to let them out. And so it has a, that's a big job for a little body part. Um, when you think about the size of the cervix itself, it's about two by four centimeters, um, you know, two, two centimeters wide, maybe three, um, and then about four centimeters long. And again, it's a tube. It has a three-dimensional uh, uh, object. And when we talk about cervical cancer, there's two broad types of cervical cancer, squamous cell cancer, which is the most common type, and then um, adenocarcinoma or glandular cancer, which comes from the inside of the tube. 
I always make the analogy when I'm talking about cervical cancer and where the abnormal cells come from. Think about it like your mouth. Um, squamous part is like your lips, the you know part where you put your lipstick. And then the inside of your mouth has glands that make your saliva. Then your cervix acts in much the same way. There's a tough outer covering. And then there's a glandular inside kind of that's up in the middle of the tube. Either of those places can turn into cancer. And specifically the area of the cervix where they transition from those um, glandular cells to the tough outer covering or squamous cells, that area called the transformation zone is where the badness is most likely to happen and turn into a squamous cell um, abnormality. So we test for cervical cancer or we screen for cervical cancer by a process called the pap smear. Now, the one important take-home note I want everybody to understand is that a pelvic exam and a speculum exam do not equal a pap smear. I'll have patients in my office and I'll go, well, did you have a pap? Well, I went to the ER a few months ago. They did not do your pap smear in the ER. They are not screening for cervical cancer. They are likely doing an infection screening, which is also important for diseases like chlamydia and gonorrhea that can be treated with antibiotics. But I promise you not an ER doc out there is doing a pap smear ever, 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 ever. So a pelvic exam does not equal a pap smear. So take home point number one. So the pap smear itself is where we take this little, oh, silicone or plastic brush, and we put it up against the cervix. When we look up in there with a the speculum, it looks like a little donut sitting at the top of the vagina. And so we, we stick our little brush on that donut and twirl it around and gather cells off of the cervix. We mash them up in a liquid, and we send that to the pathologist. The pathologist is then going to look at those cells and say they look normal. They look a little funny. They look low-grade scary medium graded scary, high grade scary, or they look like cancer. And so there's a spectrum of results that could come back from that pap smear. And for certain women, in addition to looking at the cells of the pap, we also test those cells for HPV. So human papillomavirus, HPV, is the virus that causes cervical cancer, period, stop, end of sentence. It is a necessary component for all squamous cancers and for most glandular cancers. And so if you don't have HPV, you have a much lower likelihood of getting cancer. That's why OBGYNs and most physicians and um, the World Health Organization and the CDC and um, all the pediatricians out there are in favor of vaccinating children against HPV. So the HPV vaccine currently covers nine strands of human papillomavirus, and there are thousands of those out there. But with the nine strands in the vaccine, you're getting the seven most common types of the virus that cause cancer and the two most common types of the virus that are not what we would call high risk for cancer, but are super common to cause genital warts, which aren't going to kill you but are not a lot of fun to have. And so um, that vaccine prevents um, over 80% of the cervical cancers out there. We have drastically reduced the incidence or the occurrence of cervical cancer with vaccination. And so um, that is definitely one super proactive thing that we can do for ourselves and for our kids to prevent cancer not only of the cervix, but also of the head and neck, the penis and the boys and the, the rectum as well. So can I ask a couple of questions? I, I really do think of all the kind of gyno 
health topics. This one is the least understood, at least in like my mom circles, right? You say something in the article that I, well, you said a few things that I didn't know. And one is, speaking of the vaccine, that it is now approved for women up to age 45. We could even get the HPV vaccine now. Yes, and you should. So I personally was 27 when the vaccine was approved. And so I missed the age cutoff. 20, you know, the original vaccine age was from 12 to 26. And so I missed the boat when it came to market. It was probably, it was pre-pandemic because I remember giving a talk about it in public. And so probably 2018, 2019, they raised the age limit on the HPV vaccine um, from 26 to 46, um, essentially realizing that there was this huge population of women who, and the reason that they did it to 26 is because that who that's who it was originally studied on. You know, just the data, the evidence was for that younger group. But as time went by and they were given more time to, uh, you know, increase their, their sample size and study groups. It's got, gotten the approval now for up to age 46. And I mean, can a 56-year-old get the vaccine? Yes. The question is, do they need it? Um, so from an HPV standpoint, HPV is by large a virus that's transmitted by sexual activity. And so the goal, of course, is to get people vaccinated before they ever even think about having sex because, you know, it doesn't do you any good to give you a flu shot when you're halfway through your flu course. And so the same thing with HPV. Um, now I say like the flu shot, but actually to contradict myself, <laughs> um, data came out just over this past few years that showed that women who got the HPV vaccine after already being diagnosed with a type of high-risk HPV we're actually more likely to clear it. I talk about HPV um, as a virus, much like chickenpox. And you guys are probably enough my age that you probably have the real deal chickenpox back in the day. Like you have chickenpox when you're a kid. And if you get shingles, it is the exact same virus that you contracted back in third grade that gives you that shingles outbreak. HPV acts very much the same way in that the virus that you contract is not going to be potentially active in your body all the time, just like chickenpox is not active in your body all the time. But from time to time, it may express itself. It may have effects on the tissue that come and go. And so that's why we continue to do pap screening throughout the lifespan, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, again, new data that's showing that getting vaccinated even if you've already come into contact with a strain of HPV, can help you to clear that or make that HPV dormant forever and ever. So um, it is very worthwhile for anybody who's ever had an abnormal pap. And even if you hadn't, if you are under the age of 46, three little shots over six months can reduce the risk of a new strain taking hold in your body. Today's episode is sponsored by Phenom Women's Care. Committed to their vision of empowering women to take charge of their health, they offer personalized care by their all-female team of physicians. Dr. Palmer and Phenom are working hard to form a community of women who are empowered by a deeper understanding of their bodies and womanhood. If you're looking for a doctor to care for your needs in every life stage, head on over to phenomhealth.com. I have questions about HPV. You said it is primarily contracted through sexual activity. Are there other ways to get HPV and what kind of symptoms like? Yeah, so it is very much an asymptomatic infection. So that is one thing. You can't know walking down the street, you can't look at somebody and be like, oh, she has HPV. 
you don't feel any different if you have HPV or if you don't. Pap screening and testing for HPV is the only way to figure out if you have come into contact with one of the types that has uh, can cause cervical cancer. So when you look just at the prevalence of HPV in the average 24-year-old out there, at any given point in the time, if one is sexually active, 80% of individuals may test positive for it at some point in time. So it is very, very, very common. And to that point, that's why we don't test 22-year-olds for HPV. They're probably going to have it. Um, but the good news is that most people clear it. 80% of people don't get cervical cancer. It's actually much more rare than that. And so it is very, very common as far as, you know, catching it. Again, sexual contact, physical contact is the most common way. It doesn't have to be, you know, penile to vagina intercourse, even just external touching, touching, uh, you know, one's privates and then the other's private with the same hand, oral sex. This is how we can get HPV in the esophagus and the mouth. It is a contact thing. And so because this is your cervix, like there's really only one way to get the contact up there, that's through sex. Now for physicians, for dentists, for anesthesiologists, um, we can come into contact with HPV in an occupational setting. Whenever we do a case as a surgeon where we're going to be what we call aerosolizing HPV. So if I'm doing a laser on somebody's cervix who has HPV or a leak procedure, we put on N95 masks because we don't want to inhale that HPV plume because the aerosolized virus is one way that we can you know, breathe HPV into our body, into our respiratory tract into our system. And so there are other ways to get it, but by and large, it is a physical contact, skin to skin kind of transmission. So can we talk a little bit about the controversy? And because everything that you're saying is new information to me. And all I've ever heard is there's this HPV vaccine, you should get your child um, so that they don't get this STD. And that's the extent that I've known. The, the anti-vaccine rhetoric around HPV, I think, exists for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's the population out there who is anti-all vaccine. And so, you know, any vaccine, especially a new one, is going to come like under their radar as far as things to um, actively, you know, promote against. And so there's that section of the population and I'm not here to engage that. I'm not here. To <laughs> there is a segment of the population who it's like a morality or a purity issue. Or that it would somehow yeah, give you permission to be yeah. sexually active because you're not going to get yeah. this STD, which could cause cancer. But there are plenty of other STDs yes. that even has a higher percentage of like causing you more daily problems. And as I tell you know, every mom of a concerned teenager who sits in my office, I promise you that the fear of HPV is not the thing that keeps your kid from having sex. Right. <laughs> the giving them the vaccine, they are going to go like, well, great. I'm protected against HPV now. Let's go. Like it is not like the, the gateway to promiscuity. They would have called it a cancer vaccine. And, you know, if that would have been um, because that's what it is. Um, but because this stigma of HPV being sexually transmitted, when in reality, this is a cancer preventing vaccine. This is a vaccine that reduces your risk of dying of cancer. Like how amazing is that? But we have this 
this label on it that, you know, oh, it's an STD vaccine. And this is, you know, my daughter won't get that. My son won't need that. But when you look at the statistics that 80% of people in their 20s come into contact with HPV, Mm. it's just, um, you know, it is really being, I think, very short-sighted to think that your kid is not going to need that protection at some point in time. Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. And to hear about um, even the other ways that you can get it, that it's not just intercourse. You know, if your darling daughter only does have sex ever with one person who's never had sex with anybody else, but she is a dental hygienist or a dentist or a gynecologist. Yeah, there's, there's lots of reasons to get the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we'll kind of segue into more of the, the cancer um, situation. And you talk quite a bit in the article about how it's actually diagnosed. We have the pap smear. It comes back. You do further procedures to confirm whether or not it is cancerous. And I know that, you know, at some point a woman would then be seeing an oncologist who would specialize in this, but you also would serve as almost kind of like their general practitioner for, because, you know, a disease of the cervix, you're the starting point for that. So give us some more information about like, what's the most common age range? when you would actually see this HPV turn into a cervical cancer and then go into a little bit about like what's treatment, what's rate of survival, side effects, all that stuff. Yeah. So the great thing about cervical cancer um, is that overall it is a very slow growing cancer. The progression from a mild abnormality to invasive cancer is typically, you know, a 10 plus year progression. And so that is one reason that we've been um, allowed or able to kind of space out cervical cancer screening for those of us who are over the age of 30. Um, because, you know, if you have a negative HPV screen and your pap smear is normal, in the next three years, even if you walk out of my office and get a new strain of HPV that day, it's not going to turn to cancer in three years. It is, again, a very indolent kind of thing. And so that is on our side. The vast majority of abnormal PAPs, even the highly abnormal ones, luckily are precancers. So we have, I talked about that spectrum of pap smears. When we do biopsies to confirm that pap smear diagnosis, we also have a spectrum of pathologic diagnosis. And basically the category is called CIN, um, which stands for cervical intraepithelial neoplasia. So these are precancers, things that have not invaded into like past the cell basement membrane. And there's mild, moderate, and severe of all of those. And then after severe, you run into cancer, basically. And so the degree of abnormality, the vast majority of biopsies that, you know, gynecologists do every week are going to be in that mild to moderate category, something like 70 to 80 percent of those. And then you have the 20 to 30 percent that are in the moderate to, you know, higher moderate grade to the severe. And for those women, we need to figure out if that's all that it is, or if there's something higher up, if there's something that is invasive that our biopsies didn't get. So that's when we go to what we call excisional procedures on the cervix. The common names for those are cones and leaps. So a leap is an electrical excision procedure. I always, it looks like the little device that we use looks like um, a rainbow with a, like with a plate underneath it, basically. And so we take this thing and essentially like scoop out 
or shave off the front part of the cervix, that transformation zone that I spoke about earlier. We're going to pass out over here. I'll never see a cheese grater the same. Stop! Stop! Take a breath, put your head between your legs. Okay. There is anesthesia involved. So good. Praise the Lord. Yes. So the other process is a conization or a cone where we take a scalpel and essentially kind of core out or do the same thing with a, like a cold knife. So not a laser or an electric artery. And so there's different reasons that, you know, physicians will choose one or the other. A lot of it is dependent upon the pathology and the pap smear and how close or discrepant they were, um, how concerned we are kind of visually about things and then patient factors as well. And then preference of, do we do this in the office or procedure room? Do we do this in the operating room? That kind of thing. Why not just remove it? So that's a great question because if there is a cancer there that we missed in our biopsies, you need to have that surgery done by a GYN oncologist. Benign gynecologist, your run-of-the-mill OBGYNs, we do simple or total hysterectomies where we just take out the cervix, we take out the uterus, if there is an undiagnosed cancer, that is the wrong procedure to have. If one, a woman wanted a hysterectomy or wanted their cervix removed, you need what we would call a radical hysterectomy, which takes not only the cervix and the uterus, but also the tissue called the parametria. The upper one-third of the vagina is removed as well. So if we don't have to do that, then we don't want to do that. We always want to make sure that we're doing the right procedure for a woman who's like, hey, yeah, I'm done with this thing. Um, this is doing nothing but causing me grief. I don't want to use it to make babies anymore. Can you just take it out? Well, the answer is sure and absolutely, as long as we make sure that we're doing it the safe way or the right way. When we do the, the cones and the leaps, like depending on how much tissue we take, you can pretty much do a pretty effective removal of a lot of the vaginal portion of the cervix. But there's a portion of the cervix that lives up in the pelvic abdominal cavity as well. And so to truly, you know, get the entire cervix out, you just kind of take the uterus along with it. Now, we do tailor these procedures based on where a woman is in her lifetime, right? So if I have a 45-year-old who's had her kiddos and we have this cervical abnormality, well, I'm going to take a really generous piece of tissue to make sure that we kind of get everything out that could potentially be bad. And then we talk about hysterectomy if you want it and all those things. But if I have a 25-year-old who has not yet started and or completed her family having well, I'm going to be pretty conservative in the amount of tissue that I take and the amount of tissue I leave her with. Because when we talk about cervical procedures, you know, especially if you've had multiple cervical procedures, that can increase your problems with becoming or maintaining a pregnancy. So we definitely want to try to preserve that eligibility for fertility in women who still want it. So there's definitely, again, a lot of factors that go into how and what we do and how much we take. So what's the age range when cervical cancer can present? Yeah, so most cancers are diagnosed, um, let's scratch that, most precancers are diagnosed um, in our 20s and 30s. So those precancerous abnormalities, those abnormal pap smears, again, this is a time when we're encountering the most HPV for most of us. And so that is the most likely time for those, you know, precancers to appear. Cervical cancer itself can be diagnosed at any point in the game. And one of the biggest risk factors for cervical cancer, first of all, is smoking. So smoking cigarettes, vaping tobacco. Tobacco is fuel for the fire for HPV. It really makes that HPV stick and take hold and really feeds it. And it turns off your immune system. You know, also it decreases blood flow to the area to like all sorts of reasons that we shouldn't smoke, but um, your cervical health was certainly among them. But one of the more common times that we see cervical cancers is frankly when women stop coming to the gynecologist. And so I, my biggest speech when I ever give somebody a tubal ligation 
or, you know, we have their husband gets a vasectomy is that you are not excused from seeing me forever, <laughs> but like you have to come get cervical cancer screening because that's, this is when we see it in women in their forties and fifties, when they have sterilization of some kind in their thirties. And then, you know, life gets busy and you're taking care of your kids and you're doing all the things and you're working and you're doing and you're going. And all of a sudden you go, oh my God, it's been 10 years since I've been to the gynecologist. I always breathe a sigh of relief when I get pap smears back on women who've taken a little GYN hiatus. That makes me want to go call my... Go call your own <laughs> So, yeah. It's I'll, time. I'll have to call This them. is your sign if you're waiting for them. it. Here it is. Call your own I can't think of how many times I've had a concern and gone to the doctor and it's been fine, which is wonderful. But I think that sometimes it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm overdoing it. So then the next time I have a concern, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. We need to remind ourselves like what we were talking about at the beginning, that we are the only ones who are going to care about our health. And so we need to make those appointments. Not only are you the only one who cares about your health, but you know yourself better than anyone. And so if that every two week period, you know, that's not normal. You know that your body is not doing the things that it usually has done. And, you know, I think for so many women, um, yeah, denial is huge, right? Like, no, this is fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. We put our problems on the back burner every day. We put our health, our happiness, our, like, we are the caretakers of all the things and all the people. And so our things and our person gets put at the back of the line. I always have a saying, I don't ask questions I don't want the answer to. And so in your heart of hearts, if you really think something is wrong, part of you doesn't want to go. Like that deniability is a comfort for some people. And even for like a very, I think sometimes too like practical, logical type person. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm like, okay, if I go, I know it's not normal for me to be doing this. Mm -hmm. I know this means I'm probably going to have to have a test or a procedure. And then right now is not a good time for that. And so I'm just going to wait until maybe February or March when all this is over and then I'll do it. But then when February and March comes, well, then soccer season's about to start. You know, like we're pros at doing that. Like we just we all do it. Um, and so my plea to women is just to, first of all, prioritize it. And second of all, not to be afraid of it. Nobody likes coming to my office. I get that. <laughs> like the gynecologist is not a fun place to come, but just come in, be honest. Um, you know, we're here, we're here to help. And um, it can be scary, but we're, we're here to make it the least amount of scary that it can be. Dr. Palmer, thank you so much for um, just letting us talk all of this out. Yeah, it was very, very helpful. And I think it'll be really helpful to our listeners, too. We will include information about you personally, about your practice, uh, where women can go on to website and find you, also your social media pages. And also, we're going to have a link to the article you wrote called How to Get Your Cervix in Shape, Tips for a Healthy Life. So, Thank you, thank you, thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. See everyone later. Bye. Thank you again, Dr. Palmer and Phenom Women's Care. You can get more information at phenomhealth.com or follow at phenom, that's F-E-N-O-M, on Instagram. 
As always, visit fwmoms.com to see the notes from this show, including links to products and content mentioned in this episode. And one more time, just in case you missed it, fwmoms.com. Fort Worth Moms. <laughs>